Welcome to the Architect of Change Show with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman & Associates. Now here's Connie. I'm Connie Whitman, your host, and you're listening to Architect of Change on webtalkradio.net. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Alrighty, so my motivational quote today is by Benjamin Franklin, and it says, Tell me and I forget. Teach me and I remember. Involve me and I learn. Ever look at this list, at the list of the top 100 places to work and think, geez, I really would like to work in a place like that. What do you think landed those organizations a spot on that list? Far from the so-called benefits like vacation and pension plans of last century, today's companies are excelling by seeing the individual as a whole and not just as an employee. So, how did they actually do this? Companies like Zappos and Google got there by being value-driven organizations and by being organizationally conscious. Do you even know what organizationally conscious means? Well, what about your company? Would you say that your company has a really strong culture that supports and develops their employees? If so, it's good for you. If not, today's topic should provide some enlightenment as well as some clear how-tos in order to create such a dynamic company where all employees thrive. Sounds great, doesn't it? Well, do you need some help? I know I could use a hand and am eager to hear how we can create such a dynamic culture at our companies. Today my guest is back for the second time, Richard Barrett, and he's with us today. And he just came out with his new book, The Values Driven Organization, Cultural Health and Employee Well-Being as a Pathway to Sustainable Performance. Before he joins us, I just want to share with you a little bit about his background, aside from being an amazing author. Um, he's also an internationally recognized thought leader on the evolution of human values in business and society. He's also the founder and chairman of the Barrett Value Center, and a very interesting title. Uh, he was the former values coordinator at the World Bank. As the creator of the Cultural Transformation Tools, also known as CTT. His organization supports more than 6,000 organizations on their transformational journeys. All the way from Italy, please help me welcome back Richard Barrett. So Richard, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. And now I know before we jump into our conversation, I know that you have a quote that I think you've used for many years, and I just think it'll set the stage for what we're going to discuss today. Can you share that with everyone? Sure, yeah. I uh, wrote, put this in my first book, or actually my second book, about 20 years ago. Organizational transformation begins with the personal transformation of the leaders. Organizations don't transform, people do. Hmm. That's true, right? People do the work of the organizations, and people do the work with the customers. So we certainly have to take people into account. And that's really what our topic is about yeah. today. In that quote, uh, where I say organizational don't transform, you know, people do, uh, what I'm really referring to is, is leaders. Uh, organizational transformation begins with the personal transformation of the leaders. So y if you want to create a, a, a high-performing culture, then you better uh, look at the, the culture is a 
is a reflection of leadership consciousness. So if you want to improve the culture, you either uh, change your leaders or your leaders have to change. And that's what that transformation is about. If you want to create a, a great culture, then either change your leaders or you have your leaders change. And that's really the only two alternatives, right? So if they don't want to, yeah. if they don't want to change or learn or grow, then maybe they need to be moved on out. So you talk a lot, obviously the book, that the value-driven organization or cultural health, um, why is becoming a value-driven organization so important in addition to what you've already said? Uh, well, because uh, values uh, drive um, who we are. Every employee has needs, and whatever need you have uh, is what you value. So uh, values are very intimately linked with needs. And so if you understand your employees' needs and what they value, and you build that into the way that you organize your uh, 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 company, then uh, you address the employees' needs, you give them what they value, and guess what? They come back full of commitment. So uh, if you're working somewhere and you're not getting your needs met, well, you're not going to be very engaged. But if you work somewhere where your needs are met, then you will feel engaged. Now, the interesting thing is that uh, as we move through the seasons of our lives, our needs change. So the 20-year-old has different needs to the 40-year-old, and the 40-year-old has different needs to the 50-year-old. So um, understanding, understanding uh, the seven stages of psychological development and what employees need and want, what they value, um, is how you create a values-driven organization which can be highly successful. Can you give some examples that, that I, I think the decades of, of how we grow, 20s, 30s, 40s, etc., what, what do some of those needs look like? Can you just give us some examples? Absolutely, sure can. So um, if you've got... Um, people in the very early 20s they're still they're still in the uh, what i call the differentiating stage of development and what they're looking for is recognition they they want feedback they want to be recognized and uh, they want praise and then if you move on into the mid 20s and 30s what people are looking for there is freedom and autonomy to explore who they are so you need to give them a little bit of leeway to take on projects um, and uh, find out what they're good at and what they're not so good at and and support them in that process so you know you may have um, I remember myself when I was in my uh, late 20s early 30s I was made the CEO of a French company uh, I started a French company and I learned in the next four or five years I was really good at doing the work but I didn't enjoy managing people and that was a great learning I had the freedom to learn that and that's that that then uh, uh, made me uh, understand what I needed later on in life in order to enjoy my working life absolutely so that's uh, in the that's in the 30s. and the 40s, you come to a place having found freedom and autonomy and, and you begin to discover what you love to do. Then you, what you really focus on in the 40s is self-actualization, which is finding meaning and purpose in life. You, you, and this happens very frequently to people. They make decisions about their career as teenagers and they go off to college. They, they don't have a strong basis for making those decisions. I didn't. And, um, and then they find themselves in a career which actually is not 
uh, they may be very good at, but um, it's not their joy. And, you know, for up to the age of 40-something, I was a transportation engineer. I, I studied civil engineering. I was a transportation engineer. And then suddenly I got bored, <laughs> completely bored with my career. And I realized that, you know, when I'd been 17, I'd really misheard my soul when it told me what I should do. I thought it said transportation, but it actually said transformation. And so I became a transformation <laughs> engineer. <laughs> and that's what I've been writing about ever since. Um, anyhow, so that's what happens in the 40s. You find out meaning, you're looking for meaning and purpose. And then in the 50s, uh, it, you, you really have to, you want to make a difference, but to make a difference, you have to be able to connect with people. Uh, if you can't connect, you can't go out and make a difference. So, so connecting is really, really important uh, in the 50s. And then in the 60s, um, we want to just make a contribution. You know, you 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 at the end of your so-called professional career, but actually you're still very vital and you still want to go out in the world and make a difference. But what you want to do really is make a contribution. And so in the 60s, it's all about contribution. So early 20s, it's about it's about recognition, then it's about freedom and autonomy, then it's about meaning and purpose, then it's about making a difference and connection, and finally it's about contribution. Which is so interesting. I, I just, the 40s, I, it's so true when we're in our 40s, you have some legs, you have some information, you have some experience that you can draw upon to say, holy moly, this is really what I want to do and this is how I want to do it. You kind of know your strengths and we start to see our blind spots. So I, I think that was, and again, the 20s and 30s, so clear. And then the 50s, it really is, I think you have the confidence in your 50s, again, because you have all this experience, you have that self-actualization, you know who you are, that it's about, hey, I want to get to know you better. And I think also for the 50s, at least for me, um, I want to help people get to where they want to go, right? That growth aspect, that connection, and then the contribution. I, I'm not in my 60s yet approaching, but not there yet, Richard. So I am sure, though, that contribution will be part of it because I, I think in, even in my 50s, that's a real important part of of contributing back um, because I'm so fortunate and blessed. So I totally see that, that shift um, happening. So thank you for that clarification. Now, how... How can an organization, number one, understanding that and leveraging this information, how can they start to create that value-driven organization? Because I'm sure most organizations have people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and, and 60s. Yeah. So... Uh, first of all, you've got to measure the culture, and you measure the culture by mapping values, and that's what my company does. It enables the organizations to map their values to the, these different stages of development. We call it the seven levels of consciousness. And um, so uh, it's simple to do. We basically, uh, all employees are invited to participate, and they pick 10 values from a list uh, of who, which reflect who they are, their personal values. Then they pick 10 values about how the organization operates, how, how they see it operating. And then they pick 10 values about how they like to see it operating. And in the differences and the gaps, uh, you have the pathway to transformation. Now, included in those values that were uh, that we say, well, you know, how does your organization operate? Our, our positive words such as creativity, teamwork, um, openness, uh, integrity, and also 
what we call potentially limiting values like uh, blame, uh, internal competition, bureaucracy. So people can pick these positive words and these what we call potentially limiting words in order to describe their current culture. And in their desired culture, they pick words that actually, uh, it turns out, are actually the remedy for many of the potentially limiting values that they see in their uh, current culture. Um, there's much more to it than that, but that's basically, that's the way to do it. If you want to manage something like a culture, you have to measure it. and until this tool came along um it was like uh it was you know culture was a bit of an intangible and what we've done is we've really made culture tangible by linking values to needs to levels of consciousness and we can get a map a, a visual map of where employees are in their own lives where, what they see the organization is doing and what they'd like to see it doing and when you follow that these results year by year that's the pathway to high performance and the results that you know when you change the behavior the results really will come so the measurement going in the measurement coming out would be the numbers I would think but you can't measure numbers going in because it's really the behavior is the mindset getting into people's heads correct so yeah, so we we ask people to pick the ten values, and uh, and we can see how many matching values there are between mm -hmm. the personal and the current, and the current and the desired. And sure. if there are a low number of matching values, then you know you've got a problem. If there's a high number of um, potentially limiting values, we call that cultural entropy. It's the degree of dysfunction in the system. Then sure. you know you've got a problem. And so you want to drive down the cultural entropy and increase uh, the values alignment. Uh, between people and at the same time when you're doing this exercise out, out pop these indicators um, and at the same time you want to also look at your employee engagement indicator your profit your income etc and, and what happens is absolutely amazing as you reduce the level of cultural entropy as you increase the number of matching values every other indicator goes positive I, I, absolutely, because behaviors drive the numbers, right? Now, you've mentioned, exactly. uh, and by the way, in, in the book, I just want to reference, it's so funny because I dog-eared, you know, I bent the page um, in, the, in your book that I have on page 179. You do an awesome graphic of exactly what you just, just described with the, uh, the cultural as well as the personal atrophy and, and what that shift looks like. So, which brings me to my next question. You, you kept saying the seven levels of organizational consciousness or consciousness. Can you clearly tell us what those seven levels are, Richard? Sure. Uh, I hope I can do it clearly for you. Um, and uh, I don't know how much time we've got before the break, but let me make a start anyhow. So cool. first of all, first level, survival consciousness. You know, if you can't make money, if you're a for-profit organization, then you can't survive. If you're not a for not for profit, if you uh, if you uh, you know rely on grants, etc., you still need money to survive. So survival is about money, and it's also about employee health. You know, if you're driving your employees into the ground, they're going to be off sick. You know, so mm -hmm. so it's all about survival. Then the relationship 
level, which is the second level, which is all about how we interact with each other inside the company. So uh, we want to have a harmonious working relationship. We don't want a lot of blame and internal competition going on. We want people to enjoy being together. Then at the third level, it's called self-esteem consciousness, which is really about performance. It's about being efficient, a productive, uh, agile, all of these uh, words or values which describe um, high performance basically. That's what the self-esteem consciousness is about. And then we get to the transformation level as we call it and that's really about giving people, empowering people to um, by giving them freedom and, uh, and res- responsible freedom. You, the definition of responsible freedom is accountability. Making mm. people accountable and, and uh, giving them the opportunity to uh, what I described earlier as individuate. Um, usually these people are in their uh, 30s who are doing, the, uh, this, uh, doing a lot of the work. So uh, here we go. Um, uh, that's uh, the fourth level, the transformation level, is by empowering people to make decisions. And in the fifth level, it's about well how do we now create internal cohesion in the company through shared vision shared values how do we uh, and as you create shared vision and shared values um, the level of trust increases and as trust increases you can let go of bureaucracy because basically bureaucracy is most bureaucracy is because we don't trust people so internal cohesion shared vision shared values then we get to level six which is how do we partner with uh, other organizations Organizations and how do we build up uh, through mentoring and coaching our own people? And then level seven is well, what is our contribution to society? How are, what are we doing to think about future generations? Um, what is it that um, we need to do to our company in order to be sustainable into the future? So these are the seven levels of organizational consciousness. Just, just brilliant, Richard. I, I do. Let's take a really quick break, and then I, I want to comment on a couple of the areas, and actually ask you another question as it relates to those seven levels of organizational consciousness. So, a quick break, and then I have a couple of more questions. Sure. A speaker has little value to an audience unless you, the listener, is motivated and empowered to change. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates is a renowned speaker and is an architect of change. Consultations, training, seminars, and speaking engagements are the venues where she affects change. Whether your responsibilities include customer service, sales, marketing, training, executive management, or ownership, and you are seeking change in your organization, then you need to hire Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Connie doesn't just fill your with rhetoric, she speaks to the heart and success of your business. So next time you need to hire a speaker, don't hire someone that just talks. Hire an architect of change, Connie Whitman. Just ask for Connie by calling 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. We are back. We are speaking with Richard Barrett, and his new book just came out, The Values Driven Organization, Cultural Health and Employee Well-Being as a Pathway to Sustainable Performance. And Richard, I, everything you're saying is just like, wow, making so much sense. And the book is brilliant. I, I, I read your other book that we discussed last time you were on the show, and I do like the way you write. I, it's a workbook to me almost because it gives such clear delineation of 
what topics mean, and then you have charts in there, which I'm a visual learner, so that all makes sense. So I do highly recommend Richard book, Richard's book, that my, or books, multiple. But here's the thing that I'm... I, that stuck out at me as you went through those seven levels of organizational consciousness. I think corporations, and, and you'll talk better to this in my own experience, but I think that businesses are always looking at the bottom, the dollar amount, right? That survival, how are we making our next dollar? They look at quarterly results instead of a longer term by spending money or coaching or mentoring, which you said comes towards the latter part. So we're, companies are always looking at, you know, where's my next dollar coming from and what have you done for me lately? The relationship, how we interact with each other and the harmony I, I, and the companies, many of the companies, I should say, not all, but many that I work in, you know, you see them in meetings and they're vying for attention or to be heard. So they actually talk over other people. So they're not building relationships and they're actually micromanaging oftentimes. And then you say the self-esteem, the, the efficiency. Um, I remember, and I'll, I'll just share my husband, one time he came home one week, this was several months ago, and on a Friday I'm like, wow, you look really, really tired. And he said, do you know how many hours I was in meetings this week? I'm like, I don't know. He's 36. So my response was, when, when are you doing the work that you're having these meetings on? So we have meetings on meetings, talk about lack of efficiency. We can't seem to get out of our own way in a lot of these corporate cultures. And then that empowerment and accountability, we're so afraid to hold people accountable because, oh, it might reflect on me that my people aren't doing what they should be doing. This whole um, cycle or, or spiraling that I think happens or that I see happen in many corporations, do you find that? I, do you find that frequently? And the folks who are finding you, do they have a revelation before they bring you in? I'm just curious. Well, uh, so what you're really talking about is a climate of fear and ego-driven fear, and that's yeah. really what is the problem uh, for most organizations. The, the, the leaders are driven by their ego's fears, and, uh, and, and they're the focusing on the wrong thing. They're focusing on the outputs and instead of focusing on the inputs. So mm -hmm. what do I mean by that? When you focus on your employees and your employees' needs, you are actually building the pathway to sustainable performance and that's what the whole book is about it's saying look you know if you want to be really successful well focus on your employees and what their needs are and you know and once they you've met their needs they'll be committed and they will bring their, all their discretionary energy to the workplace um, and what that means is uh, you know we have so much energy any day and uh, you know and uh, employees who are not committed who spend a lot part of their day on the internet, you know, looking at the, you know, where they're going to go on holiday. Whereas a committed employee who is getting his needs met um, is actually uh, going home and even thinking about, well, what can I do next? What, how can I improve that, etc. So you're tapping into the uh, discretionary energy. And that's what happens when you focus on the people, focus on the inputs and not on the outputs. When you focus on the outputs, uh, you know, you forget the people, you know. Forgetting the people is, is is a disaster for a company, I think. You know, you need to focus on, you, ne you need to build a family, basically, where you care about everybody. And uh, when you care about people, it's the golden rule, they care about you. So when you care about people's needs and you give them what they need, in a sense, then 
you know, they respond with commitment and they give you what you need as a leader. It's, it's pretty it, simple, it, really. It, it really is, and I, I share with you, I have not had a lot of great managers or um, folks that I reported to in my career. It just is what it is, I guess, being in sales. But I had this one president I reported to in my um, 30s, and we went through a merger, and I ended up reporting to him, and he was the best person for me to grow in my 30s because he empowered me let me run with things, trusted me, which was huge for me. And then my whole life, I am a hard worker, Richard. That's just how I was raised in an Italian household, right? We work hard every day. But for him, I wanted to please him. I wanted him to shine. And he gave me so much, I felt um, more compelled. And my desire to work harder, which I, you know, you work so hard, you think, what? But I would bring stuff home, and I would brainstorm, and I would um, learn, grow my own education, you know, um, we didn't have online back then, but read books, so that I could give him more, because he empowered me, um, and built my self-esteem up, he was the best boss I ever had, and it was funny, because then another bank, I worked for a bank at the time, they, another bank came in, and I won't mention the name, but I did not want to work for them. They were disempowering, and I, now when you see the light, there's no going back, and that's at 39, I started my own business. It's like, yeah, I, I need more control, and I need to create a corporation that thrives and not disempowers people. So very interesting how your your levels of organization as well as the 20s 30s and 40s it, it, it to me it's light bulbs are going off all over the place and then the other thing i just want to comment on and i see this often i'm i'm actually a, a faculty for the new jersey bankers association and we just rolled out a, an emerging leaders program and it's really kind of interesting how we put effort and education into these emerging leaders, which don't get me wrong, they totally need it. But I also see leaders on the higher end that have never had this type of education, training, um, revelations, whatever, perspective, so that they really, really need to go back to school for some of this basic information. Do you find that as well, Richard, in, with your corporations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, several years ago now, I wrote a book called um, The New Leadership Paradigm, where in that book I said, you know, um, the first thing you need to do as a leader is lead yourself. Uh, or <laughs> when you can lead yourself, then you can lead a team. And when you can lead a team, then you can lead an organization. But if you can't lead yourself, you're going to make a big mess of leaving a team and leading uh, an organization. Now, the, the fellow who you worked with, who pleased you so much, he was able to lead himself and had confidence in himself to the point that he was able to say, here, get on with it. I'll be mm -hmm. there if you need me, mm -hmm. but you know, I'm going to let you run and I'm going to let you grow and develop because actually, what do we all want to do? We all want to grow and develop. We all want to learn and grow and develop. That's like basic for everybody on the planet. So when you have a leader who understands that and is not want to control everything and micromanage everything you do, that's a huge benefit and it makes you, as you said, want to give more. And it was interesting because the other two uh, vice presidents that reported into him, he, he made us, that's not the right word, but he created that team environment that we, it, and, and it's so funny, I look back now in my whole career, I mean, I love what I do now having my own business, but in my whole career, working with him and the, my two partners, my, my other two um, uh, vice presidents, 
we had something that is remarkable and I don't think common. And again, it's because of him. So yeah, he create he helped us create self, but he had us leverage that and create this dynamic, amazing team um, who our, our region ultimately thrived. We, you know, we were always the number one region. So just just leadership matters. It's just so critical. Now the other thing in your book. You talk about mantras for organizational transformation, and I think they're really important. Can you just share a little bit about that as well? Well, that was actually my opening mantra, which was, well, let me start with the first one, which is uh, cultural capital is the new frontier of competitive advantage. You know, who you are and what you stand for is your competitive advantage these days. Um, Mm -hmm. We're moving into what I would call a meaningful economy uh, out of a fear-driven, profit-driven economy, we're moving into a meaningful economy. Uh, so, and then, then the other mantra is, as the one I mentioned at the beginning, organizational transformation begins with the personal transformation of the leaders. Organizations don't transform, people do. And so that's really getting to the heart of what we've been talking about and brings us you know, nicely back to the beginning of our conversation. Now, just uh, we have about four minutes left, so I I will let you choose. Do you would you like to share a real life example that you think will really quantify what we're talking about, or uh, whichever is easier for you? Is there a message you want to leave the listeners with that you think is impactful? Uh. Okay, yeah, so here we go. I'll just uh, see what my soul wants to say. Oh, my soul wants to say this. You know, that uh, <laughs> my, uh, uh, you, you don't have to put up with being in a organization that zaps the energy out of you. Um, uh, if you are, uh, you know, uh, a man, in a, at a management level, you can build a great team. You can, you can follow the uh, principles that I've laid out in the book. You can measure the culture of your team, and um, and you can um, turn it into a high performance team. I, I have an example. This is one of the major accounting companies in the world, one of the top four. And in one country in particular, they adopted the method and the tools that we use and that team that country in that global organization moved up from being number 20 to number 1 in terms of results and then and then the you know the global headquarters said what the hell are they doing i mean this is amazing we need to do that and so then what happened was they the whole organization embraced our tools and embraced the whole philosophy that is in my book and you know they're just now thriving uh, so you know you don't have to you can work at your level and sh- as you pointed out you know you were in a, a region which was top you know top of that group because you had a great culture so you know if you're a manager or a supervisor you know work on work on your team work on your department um, and, 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 and do the best you can. We had the same experience in Canada in on the Ontario state government where one of the director generals uh, took on this uh, whole idea and turned that uh, whole department into a high-performing organization and the, and the other departments began to look at him and say, well, what is he doing? You know, so, so you know, just take your opportunity and go for it. 
it's contagious. When people see your little division or your little team, you know, kicking butt out there, they have to stop and notice and say, wait a minute, what's going on? And think about the empowerment of that, Richard. For the leader of that small team, it can impact the organization as a whole. So start with what you can control, because I know people are listening, and Richard, they're saying, oh, yeah, but my company, they would never let me do that. Well, why can't you develop your folks? Why can't you create this dynamic, uh, communicative, thriving, you know, small nucle- nucleus and see how it explodes and and create the change at an organizational level? I mean, this this is how opportunities or or opportunities find people is when they show that hey, look at what I'm doing without being braggadocious and and really with humility just saying this is what I did for my team this is why I did it for my team because it's important and these are the results we're getting and once that's noticed that you know the organizations like that Ontario um, uh, the government agency you know they took it on as well as the your accounting client two great stories of do it in your own backyard and you never know you never know what's going to find you and I think Richard even if the corporation is that ignorant or that blind to what you're doing because who's ever at the helm is just you know whatever think about your day-to-day interaction and your day-to-day life going to work every day it's fun to go to work and be with people that you care about and that you you created something so wonderful and dynamic and thriving together that you just say you know what I don't care what anybody else is doing look what we're doing look how much fun we're having and holy smokes look at the results we're getting so you know you just look at from that perspective as well it doesn't matter if the rest of the company takes on your culture or not right correct enjoy your life I say yes and and I love how you said uh, when I said you can choose and then you said I'm gonna listen to my soul but the first thing you said is don't tolerate companies that zap the energy out of you and I think that we and rightfully so we get into the rat race of oh my god I have a mortgage and I have kids and I have kids in college and um, I have daycare bills or whatever it is and we get stuck because we think there's no alternative and there's always an alternative take control of your life and seek out those thriving environments that we just discussed um, Richard, thank you again for just being a brilliant guest. You were brilliant the first time, and I so appreciate your time. I want everybody, uh, please go on Richard. If you go to richardbarrett.net, um, that's the website. Not only can you buy the book, right, which I, I highly recommend, especially for my leaders out there, just a step-by-step tool for you. It's a no-brainer. Second thing, uh, before Richard and I started the show, um, you're hosting an event in Italy. <laughs> and can you just tell everybody briefly about that as well? They could find that on richardbarrett.net yeah, too. Sure. Yeah, if you go to richardbarrett.net, that's all one word and Barrett, B-A-R-R-E-T-T, you'll find all the things I'm up to, my blogs, my videos, etc., etc. And um, right at the top of the list are my workshops. And um, this year I started doing uh, a workshop in Italy. It's um, a three and a half day workshop um, called uh, From Wellbeing to Flourishing, Living, Your, Living in Soul Consciousness. So it's really a, a deep dive into understanding who you really are and understanding how to thrive and flourish when you embrace 
your soul nature. Um, so we held the first one about uh, four weeks ago. It was a huge success. Um, another one coming up in September, and we'll be repeating the whole program next year in um, in May and September. So go to richardbarrett.net. You can find out lots of resources, lots of tools. And if you want to come to our workshop in Italy, it's just around the corner from where I live in the summer. It'd be lovely to see you. It's beautiful, beautiful countryside beautiful, beautiful food, and beautiful, beautiful people. That's lovely. And uh, budget for next year, everybody, if you can't make it this year. Let's all, let's all go visit yeah, right. Richard in Italy, right? We'll just we'll take over Italy. We'll, we'll all come um, to the workshop. Uh, you guys, also, if you have uh, stories or success stories or struggles, uh, please reach out to me. I do check my emails personally. You can email me directly at Connie at WhitmanAssos.com. Um, if ever I could be a help, uh, certainly come to me. And I also have resources uh, like Richard on my website at WhitmanAssos.com. So visit that as well. Richard, thank you again for uh, your time and just for your insights and truly inspiration on how to become a great leader or how to choose a company to work for where there's great leadership and um, and the dynamic organization. So thank you so much for that. Well, you're welcome, coming. Yeah, my, uh, truly my pleasure. Thank you all for joining me. Um, I hope you will join me weekly as we question, build, and discover together how to grow and challenge ourselves so we all embrace change and realize that we got this. We can do this. Um, you've been listening to Architect of Change with me, your host, Connie Whitman, and Richard Barrett today. Uh, and uh, We're on webtalkradio.net. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a wonderful and inspired week. Choose something new to try. Thanks so much. You've been listening to The Architect of Change with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Thank you for tuning in. We're glad you were here. Time may change me, but I can't.